you may be profaning the Lord's name by offering political, po- uh, polluted medical missions services if you cannot measure what you are doing and show where it fits in the big picture of your strategy, you run the risk of despising the Lord's table. That's a bit of a takeoff on uh, Malachi chapter 1. This works. I can't seem to roam and still and still uh, be broadcast into the room. I've got the mic on, and of course I've got my recording mic on. But I'm glued to this so far for the room. It should be this one. It should be that one, and the photo mic should not be glued. Can you hear me? You hear me overhead now? Oh, amazing. Okay, a little bit. That's all it is. Is just a, that's great. I think that's great from me. That's good for the, for you guys too. Great, thanks. That's great. Thank you very much. Twenty dollars. Um, I'll uh, mail you a check. Thank you, sir. Okay. So uh, short-term, short-term medical missions is, is really what I'm going to be talking about. Short-term medical missions have been, thank you very much, have been uh, criticized for inadequate long-term impact on local health indicators and on the actual team participants. Costs for short-term medical missions appear excessive to some, given the purported limited impact on spiritual and physical needs. We're going to examine some of these criticisms in the context of a comprehensive, holistic, short-term medical missions program and then look at potential measures of effectiveness that can be used by short-term trip planners, by long-term trip planners, and by strategists to improve planning and execution of short-term medical missions trips. I'm going to discuss this in three main phases, measures of effectiveness in general, and then where they fall into planning and strategy development, how the the planning and strategy development builds on uh, measures of effectiveness. And then I'm going to demonstrate this with a case study, a very self-serving case study of global health outreach, which is is, uh, the short-term medical missions arm of CMDA, as I mentioned. Um, You may think it's a bit self-serving for me to use my own organization as the case study, but I can freely criticize global health outreach because the buck stops with me. Uh, and I have to fix whatever programs come up. There is no way I would be so blunt as to say what I'm going to say about your organization or any other organization out there. So measures of effectiveness are crucial elements. They're crucial during strategy development, crucial during planning your activities, during periodic program and project assessments. They're crucial at at, uh, project closeout, and crucial if you're trying to get funding, get more funding, or to justify the funding you've already received. Why? Because if you can't measure that you're doing something, you're probably not doing it, or at least not doing it well. Measures of effectiveness are both short-term, medium-term, and long-term, and it's important to have them all. Solve world hunger is a lofty goal, but What's the appropriate measure of effectiveness for solving world hunger? Well, you know you're done when no one else is hungry, right? Well, it's a bit more than that. No one is hungry. Everyone has access to and consumes a healthy, balanced diet. There is no more malnutrition. There are no more episodes of displaced persons by unanticipated famines. No one's at risk of developing malnutrition in the future during the poverty during, uh, due to poverty war, or a natural disaster. So how do you break this down 
solving world hunger into measures of effectiveness that are actually meaningful, that help you plan for and accomplish this lofty goal. Planners who have looked at uh, big tasks like this have found that you should break down your big tasks into progressively smaller ones until you can get to a task that one person can accomplish in two weeks. That's probably the take-home message for this entire hour is that one person needs to be able to accomplish a task in two weeks. If you can't break it down to that level, you probably need to unpack something even further. You need to be able to measure this accomplishment, this two-week task, of course, so that you know that it's done and you know that you can then move on to the next one. This results in lots of very short-term tasks, each of which is part of a of one or several short-term tasks, each of which is part of medium-term tasks, etc. This is not easy to do, nor is it intuitive, which is probably why it's not done very often or very well. Don't get me wrong. There are lots of good people with good intentions who are doing good things. Some of these good things are measurable and some are not. Just because something is measurable does not make it good, and just because, nor does doing a good thing make it the right thing to do at a particular time or place. Our intent must be to work effectively. That means having the right person with the right skill set take on the right problem with the right partners at the right place at the right time. Now here's where things get a little bit sticky. If you're bold enough to question someone who may not be working effectively, or if you want to understand what and why they are doing something, perhaps because you want to partner with them, or you want to work for them, or you want to make a donation to them, you may get some polite pushback, or some not very polite pushback. You may get the response, well, we're doing the Lord's work and building the kingdom, and he will bless us for our efforts and redeem any mistakes. I suggest that we should do better than that, and we can do better. Remember Luke 14, where Jesus talks about the costs of being a disciple. He gives several examples of planning, of breaking down costs to build a tower or to go to war. He says that those who do not plan are subject to ridicule for not planning well. A couple chapters earlier in Luke 12:18, Jesus emphasizes storing up treasure in heaven rather than on earth. He did not condemn the man who planned to tear down his barns to build new ones for his planning. He was condemned for misplacing his treasure. Let's not commit the same error by not planning for how we should be righteous stewards of the talents, the treasures, and the time with which the Savior has blessed us, how he has entrusted what he has entrusted to us. So measures of effectiveness may include buildings built, people hired or trained, or funds spent. I suggest, however, that these measures are inadequate. They are called input measures rather than outcome measures. Outcome measures seek to measure if a desired outcome occurs, of course. Much of the humanitarian assistance and disaster relief community have been guilty of focusing on only input measures or primarily on input measures. So desired outcomes often never occur. There have been some good articles published recently that look at this, but the root cause is poor planning. We'll take a more in-depth look at this in a moment. Several important key steps to effective planning and strategy development are first carefully thinking through your goals and objectives, 
then developing good measures of effectiveness. Understanding your goals is crucial so that you can aim for the right target. Understanding your capabilities is crucial so that you can fill gaps. Understanding your, your vocabulary is crucial so you can communicate effectively with your team and with your partners. So in a nutshell, planning is simple. It's determine where you need to be. This is your target goal. It's determining how you'll know when you get there. This is your in-state measure of effectiveness. It's discovering where you are, somewhere down here. That's where, what is your starting point? And then it's deciding how to close the gap between your starting point and your goal. The most common error in strategic planning is mixing up three and four. You don't discover where you are and then how to close the gap. You start closing the gap that you think is there without even determining where you are. So let's look at some uh, definitions that are commonly used in planning and strategy development. First is vision. This is the highest level, but it's the least specific. It may or may not be measurable. So a, a good vision may be glorify God or glorify God by building his kingdom. Next is the strategy. This is the ends. This may include goals and the means by which to achieve them. It's the next level down, but it may be difficult to directly put into action. It should be measurable. You should be able to measure these ends. For instance, our strategy in Global Health Outreach is to facilitate the development of indigenous disciple makers. Uh, that's a strange strategy for a short-term medical missions group on the surface. So we will unpack this significantly so you'll see why this, at least in my humble opinion, makes, makes sense to us. Number three is task areas, the ways. Each of these task areas may have long-term, medium-term, and short-term goals. And then the fourth is tactics. It's the means. It's the policies, the procedures, the actual steps and actions taken. These uh, ends, ways, and means should all be measurable, and they should be mutually supportive. Again, the disaster response and public health preparedness community has started to look at this. Just in the last few years, they've started to look at this. And some recent work provides good context for our discussion. Here's a series of articles that was published a couple of years ago in the journal published by the AMA, uh, Disaster Medicine, Public Health Preparedness, looks at the importance of these measures of effectiveness. The authors focused on evidence-based results in humanitarian programs run by both the military and international aid groups. <coughs> and they were pretty blunt in their findings. For instance, the applications that would often come in for funding requested money to uh, build a well in a certain village. It said the nearest, the nearest uh, well is uh, three miles away. And so it would really benefit the, the population of this village to have this well here. So they got the funding, built the well. Next year, application would come in for money to build a well in this exact same village. They'd say, the only well in, nearby is in town, but it's been broken for the last 10 months. So they get money to build another well. Well, there were a few other things that they didn't consider in what it takes to, to uh, maintain a well, to have community ownership of the well. Um, very short uh, description, but the second article in here, part two, um, we're going we're gonna to look at. Here's a model that they proposed, a very hypothetical model in this, in this second article that said part two, the impact assessment model. 
Um, they say that this offers a number of opportunities for measures of effectiveness. has two halves. There's implementation and then there's results. On implementation, there are inputs and then there are activities and then there are outputs. On the results side, there are outcomes and then there are the impact of the, that outcome. And they suggest that each step must be initiated, continuously reviewed, and sustained throughout the activity. Each step influences others. Notice that the the uh, arrows are bidirectional, yet no step is more important than others, and each step must be conceptualized to see how it fits into the overall context of the uh, project. Here's the definitions that they gave. Uh, inputs are financial, human, material, technological, information resources. A activ or activities are actions taken or work performed. Again, funds, technical assistance, other types of resources, how they're mobilized to, to produce those specific outputs. Then there's the outputs, products, widgets, capital goods, services, changes that occur from the developmental interventions, the, and then outcomes likely or achieved short-term and, me, and uh, medium efforts of the interventions, outputs, and then you can see the, the impact. They can, impact can be positive, can be negative, can be primary or secondary, Long-term, um, produced directly or indirectly, intended consequences or unintended consequences. So, again, a conceptual measure there. Now, one might say that since we're doing kingdom work, since we're evangelizing, we're winning souls, and we're building churches, that these secular measures of effectiveness do not apply. I would simply point out the findings from numerous surveys of churchgoers in the United States that show that the measurable indicators – Divorce rates, abortion rates, charitable contribution rates for our churches in the U.S. do not look much different, if at all different, than those for, for non-churchgoers. Just as sad, the, measure, the measurable indicators for short-term missions don't show any difference. Changed lives upon return, measured by giving to missions or measured by anything else that we've been able to find so far, going to the mission field long-term, or even getting more involved in local community service, not to mention church attendance, evangelizing, or looking different than anyone else in the community. There are plenty of books and articles published about the failures of short-term missions, including short-term medical missions as currently practiced in the U.S. So I struggle with those who fail to count the cost and plan intelligently. Here are a few of these books. There are plenty others out there, and I would uh, commend these to you. So now to our case study of global health outreach. Our strategy, as I gave away a minute ago, is to focus on indigenous disciple-making. Our strategy at Christian Medical and Dental Associations, again, this is our parent organization, so we're going up a little bit into the stratosphere, it includes several aspects of disciple-making. Some are internal and domestic with U.S. medical personnel and with others with whom we have an influence. Others are external, groups to which we intentionally go to meet spoken and unspoken physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, and then as partners to make disciples. CMDA has one vision. It's on our logo, Changing Hearts in Healthcare. And then the three 
and three main areas of focus. And each of these main areas of focus drive our strategy, our internal strategy for external outreach. So you can see our three main areas of focus. Number one is to develop the next generation of Christian docs and dentists. So a major effort is at medical and dental campuses, dental school campuses with students and residents. We have a campus and community ministries office, which is well represented here, by the way, with a free ice cream social on Saturday afternoon right next door in the CMDA student loft. Did I mention that it's free? Okay, good. Noted. Uh, we focus on, and we focus on domestic and international missions opportunities for students and residents. So those are a couple of things under the first main area of focus. Second is we support overseas medical missionaries, who, by the way, provide 80% of all health care in Africa. This includes supporting long-term medical missionaries done through our Center for Medical Missions, and then two aspects of short-term missions, teaching that's done by our Medical Education International Group, and then my organization, Global Health Outreach, with our focus on clinical work, though we're doing more training and mentoring these days as we do our clinical work. And we're also we also deliberately seek to impact our culture with a biblically sound, medically reliable voice to influence government and public opinion. This drives our involvement in government, in media, in bioethics, and other contemporary issues, and it drives the death threats that we are now getting by telephone because of our stand on embryonic stem cell research and other areas where angels fear to tread. We're there. To my knowledge, we're the only organization that's doing this, that's doing these three things. So if these three things are important to you, you need to belong to CMDA. There are membership applications on each table in those green folders. So enough of this brief commercial interruption. Though it serves as a valuable example of developing measures of effectiveness. That's the high-level parent organization. We're, under that. We're now underneath that, so I'm going to go a little bit deeper into my area, into global health outreach. Our main mechanism, not our main goal, our main mechanism, our main tool is short-term medical missions. We, we don't, our goal isn't to do short-term medical missions. That's our tool for, for uh, achieving our goal. So it's not our strategy, it's not our goal, it's not our objective. Now, I think that there are plenty of groups that do short-term medical missions as their objective. They probably have different overall strategies and goals, or perhaps they've not thought them out. Perhaps they're intentionally taking on only a portion of the task, which is very reasonable if your resources are, are, uh, are limited. We, however, are looking at disciple-making from a more holistic perspective, though we always have room for improvement. So let's, uh, let's unpack our approach to taking on the strategy of facilitating development of indigenous disciple-makers using our medical and dental skills. Did you hear that? I just gave away the content of our mission. Facilitate development doesn't necessarily mean develop. It means facilitate development of indigenous disciple-makers using our medical and dental skills. Did you hear evangelism in that? It's not mentioned. It's there. It's just not mentioned. It's one of those uh, secondary things. So our goal is to develop disciple-makers using short-term medical missions. 
This includes developing disciple makers at home, developing disciple makers abroad, and using medical and dental skills. Those are the three areas that we would unpack. So our objectives go under these goals. So at home, we need to find disciple makers. We need to see which of those, uh, um, I mean, in order to do that, we have to find potential disciple makers, take those potential disciple makers and develop them into disciple makers. We need to incorporate them into global health outreach by exposing them to the need, empowering them, equipping, and engaging. So there, there is a le- uh, several layers of unpacking in order to uh, develop disciple makers at home. So that's just one example of how we, how we unpack the at-home at part. Abroad, we need to find unreached, an unreached people group. There are a few out there, quite a few out there. But then we need to find a potential national partner with whom to work. And we need to then say which of those potential national partners can, with, with which can we develop a relationship and then with which can we develop a strategy to reach this people group using short-term medical missions. So now those are three things in that same sentence. We develop a discipleship relationship with this national partner, and that means that includes identifying existing disciple makers and identifying potential disciple makers within that national partner. And then we develop a strategy without, with that national partner to develop disciple makers. So you can see there's a linear, an, uh, a linear stream of tasks that we go through. We don't just jump in and start having short-term trips with them or going over and having pastors' conferences or, or, or uh, evangelizing. It, it, uh, every one of those subtasks requires a bit of unpacking and, and a measure of effectiveness to see if we're there. Does our work include evangelism? You bet, it sure does. Does our work result in new followers of Christ? I sure hope so. Are new churches planted? Of course they're planted. But none of these are on the list of goals or objectives. They are unspoken because they're so obvious. Look back at the Great Commission in Matthew 28:18. What's it say? It says, disciple make as you are going, teaching, and baptizing. The going, teaching, and baptizing are all secondary. They are expected activities with no added emphasis. The emphasis is on making disciples. Christ does not say to collect body counts, but he does say to feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, invite in the stranger, clothe the naked, visit the sick, and go to the imprisoned. We're told to care for widows and orphans. We're told to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. Should we measure these things? Probably, so we can be righteous stewards of our resources. But the bottom line is so that we measure is that we measure so that we can do better. In some of the fields where we work, we see harvest. In others, we plant. In others, we push some big boulders toward the edge of the field. Do we count how many patients we see? Of course. We have to plan effectively for our pharmacy, for how many patients we can see for medical, dental, and surgical care without causing a riot. Do we measure this? Yes. I report a body count every month. So every trip leader reports the number of medical, dental, and optometry patients seen, the number of prescriptions filled, and the number of decisions for Christ. Are these decisions for Christ? Yes, of course. But some of our most successful trips have low body counts. 
because we have seen visible spiritual growth with our national partner network. We've seen more doors open, more people reached, or more reachable after we leave, and incredible spiritual growth on our team. So this is how I've broken down our three main goals. Develop disciple makers at home, develop disciple makers abroad, and use our medical and dental skills efficiently and effectively. Here's how we do this. We make disciples on our team. We help our team participants be sensitive to our Lord's direction or redirection. Getting out of our cultural comfort zone seems to be crucial to this. Second, we foster the development of indigenous disciple makers to disciple indigenous people. You'll notice that's third on my list on the slide, but that's so that the next picture I show for you gentlemen out there will make more sense. And then, uh, and then the third thing we do is provide culturally appropriate medical, dental, and surgical care to the most needy people who would otherwise not have access to health care. We very carefully, very intentionally intertwine these three areas, working before a trip ever takes place, working during the trip, and then after the team departs from, uh, from the area where we worked. We still have areas where we're not doing well, where we think there's room for improvement. We look extra hard for the right partners in areas where we cannot or should not develop internal capacity. So again, for you guys out there, I've been told that that women are good with words and text, but guys need pictures. So here's how our strategy looks in a graphical form that helps us plan. So a nice little tic-tac-toe board with an extra line down the middle. So uh, you can see across the, the top, pre-trip, pre trip, and post-trip. And then down the left is team members. One focus, one big area of focus, remember, is working within our team. And then sec the second focus is medical, and that means both providing care and then on patients. And then the third area of focus at the bottom is the national partners. Now the challenge is to come up with short-term, medium-term, and long-term measures of effectiveness for each of the sections of this tic-tac-toe board. So let me walk through this and tell you how we look at it, what we're able to measure, and where we still need to do more work. Feel free to uh, raise your hand, interrupt, challenge, question. Um, don't let me get away with things if it looks like I'm blowing smoke. Um, I'm going to start on the middle row providing medical, dental, and surgical care. Now, you can see the dotted line down the middle. There are two perspectives to this, our perspective and the perspective of those whom we serve. From our perspective, I look at what we need to do to get a medical, dental, or surgical team out the door. Our staff spends phenomenal amounts of time on these tasks. I would say 90 to 95% of our time <coughs> seems to be focused on this. We receive and approve trip applications from individuals. We collect passport licensing and credentialing information. We make and remake and remake travel arrangements. Has anyone flown commercially in the last five years and noticed a change? Multiply that. Let's just say I'm paying for Valium and psychotherapy for the person in my office who, uh, well, and a lot of chocolate who does all this. Um, 
we, we work with our national partners on food, on lodging, on transportation in country. We figure out what medications and other supplies have to be sent either ahead of the team or with individual team members. We, uh, we prepare each team member with all the material they need to safely travel and to safely work. Did I mention legally work? We don't go in under the wire. If, the, if a country requires a medical license, a temporary medical license, we go through that trouble. That's called a tax. Anyone pay tax in the United States? That's I'm trying to get a couple of our trip leaders, one in particular, to not turn in his vouchers with an itemized thing that says bribe. We're, we're working on something different than that. Rent money. Red money, rent money, administrative fees, other fees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a task is to prepare each team member to work across cultural barriers. I would not say we've got that down just yet. So how do I measure this? Getting a team out the door, having all the documents done in advance without any surprises, getting the team safely in country, having a team go off without any glitches. Yes, all of the above, except no glitches. There are always glitches, but so much more. We work in 24 countries, and the administrative requirements are different in almost every country, and they change by the hour. Right, Mike? <laughs> Some require tempor temporary medical licenses for physicians, some for nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, and pharmacists, some for all healthcare workers. Some require visas in advance, others do not require a visa. Some require a list of all pharmaceuticals, including lot, lot numbers and expiration dates, and we have to have that list to them in their language 30 days in advance. Some require medications with an expiration date 90 days out, 80 day, 180 days out, and others a year out. So here are, here are some potential measures of effectiveness. And uh, you can see the little, uh, my little graph in the right-hand corner. That's the, that's the little circle that we're talking about now is pre-trip and, and focusing internally on getting our team out. So I'm a primary color guy, so the red light's getting all administrative tasks done on time. I, I would say that's a very low bar. Um, a little bit better is efficiently and effectively getting the tasks done in time to handle the, the uh, last-minute glitches. The best performance here would be learning about these procedural changes from each country before they have an impact on the team, and that may mean networking with other short-term medical missions organizations so that when organization X hat encounters a change, that it can be shared throughout the network as soon as the change takes place so that everyone knows, for instance, that to go to Mexico, you have to have a letter from the uh, uh, Mexican consulate in the United States that has uh, authorization going to the trip leader that says that he's going, he or she is leading this team of so many people to such and such a site for so many dates to do such and such a work. Otherwise, everything's going to get confiscated in customs. That can ruin your day. So that just happened last month. I think the team that just got back from Mexico yesterday didn't have that problem because we jumped through some hoops. Um, during the trip, uh, a red, a minimal measure of effectiveness or, or standard is getting the team in place to provide medical, dental, and surgical care. 
a little bit better is having all the necessary paperwork that the local government requires for entry and for practice. The best, I think, or, or something that's moving well up the, the uh, bar is having such a good record of compliance that government officials seek the team out as a valuable partner. It's a pretty good thing. So uh, moving over to the right, post-trip, getting a trip report back, expense, getting the expense report closed out. That's absolutely minimal. Better would be uh, promptly handling all the post-trip administrative requirements. Again, this is all focused on inside our office, not focused on what's going on overseas. So that means the budgeting, the reporting, the trip evaluations, and then using, those, using that information to, uh, to guide future trips by the feedback that, re that we receive, and then to develop efficiencies within the office to, minimi to minimize these administrative overhead costs because nothing, nothing is free. Best is learning from feedback from all trips and from other organizations who do similar trips to develop and share best practices. Now let's uh, move down to the underneath that dotted line. Prior to departure on the medical side, um, we want to prepare our medical, dental, and surgical providers to deliver care. That, that's really a low bar, a low standard. Better than that would be training providers how to provide the right level of care to the right patient. Now this implies understanding the outcome. So there's a little bit more uh, complexity there. And then best would be proactively providing training in culturally appropriate and location-sensitive medical care so that the providers are comfortable with managing the most likely conditions they'll see in a resource-constrained setting. Lots of things tucked into that one long sentence. We're not quite there yet. During the trip, again, very low bar is the first one, providing medical, dental, and surgical care. Again, that's an input metric. Remember the bad things I said about input metrics a few minutes ago. Next is providing, better is providing the right level of care by the right provider to the right patient. I'm a family practice doc. I don't pull teeth. Who pulls teeth? Dentists pull teeth. Do dental students pull teeth? Maybe. Under the supervision of a dentist. Right. Does my 17-year-old daughter pull teeth? Never. Unless she's a dental student. And then she's not 17. She's a few years older than that. So right level of care by the right provider to the right patient. This is complex. If I have an anesthesiology resident trained in the United States... By whom do they need to be supervised to pass gas in an operating room anywhere in the world? An anesthesiologist, a board-certified anesthesiologist. We've got teams that have um, family practice docs that have, an have additional training in anesthesia and are certified by their home country, another country that's slightly to the north of here, where these family practice docs with this anesthesia certificate can, can do general anesthesia. So I have a family, and I have both of these on the same team. One can, one can work independently, but the 
more highly trained anesthesiology resident cannot work independently because he or she has to be supervised by a board-certified anesthesiologist. So is that, that, I think that's a higher standard, but we're applying the standard of the country in which they are trained. So we're not taking shortcuts here. So that's the right level of care by the right provider at the right, um, to the right patient. And then uh, even better would be, prov again, providing culturally appropriate and location-sensitive care that is above reproach so that if, if and when a bad outcome occurs, government officials and local officials have such confidence in the way the team works that the relationship remains, remains strong and the team is invited back. We recently had a team that was in a country south of here where a, that had medical students on the team. We love having medical students and dental students and pharmacy students and nursing students and any other students on our teams. But this uh, other team from a different country in Europe had medical students and they had a bad outcome. Someone died. And when the government officials came and investigated, they felt it was due to lack of proper supervision of the medical students. So all of a sudden, medical students became bad. And our medical students got to spend an afternoon visiting the local museums. We were able to smooth that over. But what we do is we have one-to-one -one supervision of medical students with, with physicians, dental students with dentists, so that... Uh, there is above reproach uh, supervision, if you will, but also if you're a medical student, I never got one-to-one -one time with my attendings when I was a medical student. I was lucky to see the intern, and it was usually on incoming tasks, and then being pimped by the resident, and the, and the staff doc would usually ignore me. So we, uh, we provide one-to-one -one ratios for more than one reason. So anyway, that, that's a, a higher standard, and I feel that it's an appropriately higher standard. And then uh, post-trip, um, a low bar is having satisfactory medical, dental, surgical outcomes after the team departs. Well, how are you going to know? You're going to need to get feedback, which isn't always easy. So a very low bar. Better would be actually improving the local capacity to provide health care. That usually means training, and it usually means mentoring, and it, it means much more engagement in the local setting. And then the, and even better than that is facilitating capacity building, holistic capacity building across the system, and then uh, development also within those communities and with government officials that then leads to improved health indicators, maternal mortality rate, infant mortality rate, things like those. It's hard to impact these areas in Block 6. It's, uh, it's tough to build capacity within a healthcare delivery system in a sustainable fashion with short-term trips. It's not impossible. It's difficult. If it becomes a stated goal and you work towards it, then it becomes feasible. So next is uh, team preparation, the, the uh, line across the top. I feel that we're very strong in team preparation thanks to some excellent team members who take the spiritual dimension of short-term medical missions very seriously. Our team members are all volunteers. 
they start working electronically with the team, oh, three to four months out, if not more, to build team unity and to prepare spiritually by sharing biographic information, sharing devotionals, praying and fasting, and by building teams at home churches to provide prayer support. Now, how do we measure this? Prior to departure, well, forming a team. That's barely barely a metric. This isn't really fair. It's just the absolute minimum. Next is uh, having good interactions between all team members prior to departure so that they know each other. They've done some spiritual preparation for the trip. Now, how do you measure that? You can measure that by asking the team leader. Um, You can get uh, that in post-trip evaluations, which we do, and then reports uh, from the team leader. Best is having uh, some serious self-study by the team members and, and serious spiritual preparation for service and having prayer support teams praying for both the spiritual growth of each team member and for the patients and national partners. Again, the best way we found to measure that so far is post-trip evaluations and reports from the team leader. Yes, ma'am. Our teams are rarely from one specific area. Of the 50 teams, 52 teams we sent out last year, um, there are less than 10, I would say, where the majority of the team comes from one geographic area. The, there will be two or three or four from one area, but it's usually electronics, usually by email, by telephone. Um, next, during the trip, minimal praying together each day, emphasizing the spiritual aspect of their medical service. I think a lot of folks do that, but I I consider it a relatively low bar. Next would be having twice-daily devotions. I'm not legalistically saying twice, but early and often, just like voting in New Orleans. Twice-daily spiritual reflections of how God is working in team members, how God is uh, working in patients. How do you measure this? Well, again, trip evaluations at the end, and then reports from others. Best is seeing demonstrably changed lives of team members that leads to deeper that leads them to deeper relationships with Christ and a conviction of call to discipleship and service. Measured by evaluations, by reports from the team leader, from the national partner, and then over time, a long-term metric, of course, is casualties. We love to see casualties from our short-term teams become long-term missionaries. And we have a number of casualties in countries which usually cannot be named in public. Uh, post-trip. Um, is that a question? No, that's a stretch. Okay. Um, I need to do that, too. Post-trip, uh, deepening personal relationships with Christ and desire for service. How do you measure that? And I give that a red. I think that some people are thrilled with that. I think that's a pretty low bar. I think that uh, better would be some observable and reported changes in somebody's personal walk, somebody's involvement in discipleship. How do you measure that? Self-reports, reports from family members, reports from friends, Reports from your pastor. Best would be seeing, again, demonstrably changed lives of the team members that leads them to deeper relationships with Christ. 
same as on the last one, conviction of call to discipleship and service and an actual focus on service, measured the same way self-reports, reports from family members, friends, from pastor. Now, we don't, we don't do this very well at GHO. I don't have uh, a good focus on going out and measuring. This is an area that uh, we are taking on and uh, will require a, some significant uh, partnership with others. And I'm always open to your suggestions on how to do that, sir. You say low ball. I said came in late. Do you mean that is a full enough for You say low ball. A low bar is something that's very easy to do, and um, I think that it's a pretty low threshold. So it's important to do, but I think that we can do a whole lot better than that. When the bar is higher. Yeah, I think a, a low bar needs to be improved. Okay, so you're saying that is important. Oh, it's important, but it's an absolute minimum. Right, right. Sir? Yes, yes, we, we do very intentional training of our team leaders in global health outreach. Uh, we have our next team leaders training at, uh, in, the, in, a, in a few weeks, the first weekend in December, where we train them not just in the logistics of doing a team, but we have a team leaders training manual that, that is in dozens and dozens and dozens of pages long, and a, a good 20 pages is simply focused on the spiritual development of the team. We have a curriculum in place that is loose and is always being improved. I'm improving it right now because, you know, we're, we're editing it every, every time someone else looks at it. We, we uh, try to improve it, and we're adding even more to it now. Other questions? Yes, ma'am. Do you do the feedback on the last day of the trip or after they get back, and, like, what's your response rate? Yes. We do feedback. Um, we we uh, try to get feedback before the team leaves the country, and we're moving towards uh, collecting the information online, um, giving people a few, uh, a few days or weeks to recover. And one of the things that we're going to do, I think, to improve this, the little bit of social scientist in me says we're going to go back and, and look a little bit farther out, a month or two out, and then maybe six months out. We've got to find the right metrics, though. Yes, ma'am. The, the first question was, um, I already forgot it. The, the second question was our long-term uh, measurement of, of health outcomes. And it really depends on the country in which we're working. When we have a national partner that has good engagement with the local health care system, then we can get better indicators. We, we work in Ethiopia, and one of the teams that we had recently in one of the more, uh, one of the regional um, cities one of our partners works in the is a uh, internist who work, is a professor in the medical university in that city, 
And so we're able to get more indicators on, on medical outcomes where we work in other countries and our national partner is, is a pastor or somebody who doesn't know as much about the medical stuff and we're just not able to get that. And what was the first part of the question? Who provides our culturally and locationally appropriate uh, training? We, we um, in some of our countries where we have good, robust capabilities, we'll use someone who knows the system, who knows the culture, who thinks a little bit warped like we do and, and knows the differences that it takes when you step from U.S. into country X, Y, or Z. Um, we use training um, that's out there. Some of the books I mentioned on, the, uh, on, my, on my list, some people will, uh, will uh, provide some of the good indicators for working across cultures. Um, there are a few other books out there. We're, we're, trying to, we're doing much of that in our, in our team leader training to train our team leaders, and then we've started to provide uh, continuing medical education, continuing nursing education, dental education on our on our trips, and uh, several of the of the uh, presentations that we give are just that. This isn't Kansas Toto. We're working in a different country. How do you need to treat differently with different pharmaceuticals? How do you handle chronic diseases, for instance? Um, a lot of those things. Ma'am. Let me go through my last section on here, which is national partners, because that may answer a few of those, and that will get us a little bit closer to uh, finishing only a few minutes late. Um, so, so now we're down at the bottom, national partners. One of, the, one, of the goals, one of our goals is to foster the development of indigenous disciple makers to disciple indigenous peoples. So we need to make working with our national partners a priority. We do this fairly well during the trip, but we have much to do before and after the trip. That's very important to us, drives us to evaluate our partnerships for discipleship training and for, past, for pastors' conferences. Before departure, again, a very low bar. The absolute minimum to going is to find someone in country to make arrangements for room, for board, for practice location. But better is to work with a national partner who has a desire to make disciples so that nationals are in place to help with the medical clinic, to provide culturally sensitive evangelism, and to be prepared for follow-up. How do we measure that? A lot of that's by stated commitments by the national partner prior to the trip. Um, we want, um, and then best is to confirm by a site visit or multiple site visits or feedback from, from our trip leaders who are tuned in, um, that our national partner is a respected member of the spiritual community and that they can effectively partner with others to arrange for all these different aspects, the clinical site, spiritual care, interpreters, and that they can develop a long-term strategy for reaching unreached people groups that uses medical teams to open doors that may be measured by one-on-one -on -one visits on site, may be measured by reports from others. Our recent trip to Ethiopia we work with Great Commission Ethiopia. Great Commission Ethiopia has a 100-year strategy for reaching the unreached people groups in Ethiopia. Um, that is a pretty high bar. That's great. Uh, they have a very good strategy for using 
medical teams, medical and dental teams, to get into parts of Ethiopia that they couldn't go into to evangelize. They're licensed evangelists, they're card-carrying, they've got licenses from the government to do that, but it really makes it easier for them to be able to open doors when they've got a medical team up their sleeve. So we partner with them on that. Now, that's prior to departure. During the trip, we, again, a very low bar, minimal, minimally acceptable in my perspective is to work with the national partner that provides food, lodging, transportation, and then the ability to do clinical, uh, clinical medicine. Better is to work with a knowledgeable, culturally savvy national partner that has nationals in place to assist the team with a medical clinic, to provide culturally sensitive advice, counsel, and beating us upside the head with a two-by-four when we, when we cross the line, and to provide culturally sensitive evangelism and initiate follow-up. Again, measured by observations by the team members during trips. That means a national partner who knows that we tend to be ugly Americans, that we tend to come in pushy, and that will take us aside, one of us aside, and give us some advice on, you know, maybe this ought to be done a little bit differently or this ought to be done a little bit differently. And then, and then uh, see, that's during the trip. And then post-trip, the national partner provides us with a good report about identified patients. When we ask, you know, this is minimal. We want our partners to be, to, to, uh, be doing a little bit different than that. We want them to provide follow-up and then to bring new believers into discipleship training, and that's most likely measured by reports from them to us. All too often, though, we leave. I'm focused on the next three trips that we have going out the door in the next three weeks. Our team leader is recovering from his or her um, um, cold that he picked up on the plane on the way back. That's all it is. It's nothing more than that. Um, Usually it's nothing more than that. Um, But then they're back to work on Monday. So it's very – I – don't dump this on our team leaders. This is something that we need to handle better in our in our office. But then our best is the is our national partner modifies his strategy for community spiritual growth from lessons that that he has learned and observed, uh, and from partners partnerships made during the trip. So it's not just a one off. We had a good couple of weeks with this team that came in, but they're actually using that to take themselves to the next level where they provide long-term discipleship training, follow-up care for new um, believers that, that come from our medical clinics, and, and that we see deepening partnerships with government officials to facilitate and grow future visits. This may be measured by reports from national partners and government officials. On our recent trip in Ethiopia, we had a going-away dinner with the deputy minister of health who, who told us, you don't have to work with these people anymore. You can now come directly to us when you want to bring in a team. Well, that's great. We're, we appreciate that support. We're still going to work through our national partner, but we appreciate that kind of support. So many of these measures of effectiveness and areas I've talked about are subjective at best, and I don't think that everything we do must be quantitatively measurable to be worthwhile. Um, again, many of us, though, are doing many things – using precious means, precious resources, to do things that may or may not support the end goals. And some might call that, you know, doing things that may or may not support your end goals. Some might call that waste. So I think, again, the take-home point is 
go through this planning and measuring process while always keeping your eyes on the goal. And that's very useful to make good use of limited time, limited financial resources, limited goodwill with those with whom we work. So I encourage each of you, whether you're new to these types of missions, whether you're considering getting involved, whether you're an old hand, to use this as a framework to assess what you're doing, what you could be doing, what you should be doing. Yes, ma'am. We, we thank them very much for the trust and honor they have bestowed upon us. And we tell them that we are, are thrilled in working with them. And then we continue to work with the people who help us make food arrangements and lodging arrangements and transportation arrangements. And, and uh, we don't necessarily bring out in public that there are some other agendas that we have in the spiritual aspect of our care. But we formed a relationship with, with Great Commission Ethiopia, for instance, in Ethiopia. And, and the government officials also know that it would be offensive for us to cut our relationship with this group and move to another group. So they're saying that, and they're probably saying it sincerely. And in some cultures, I think someone has to say something four times before you really, you really, uh, you really believe that that is, is, the, is the case. I think I saw a hand in here. Yes, ma'am. I uh, just wanted to ask if you have any kind of follow-up with local churches um, at post-trip, because from the church standpoint, a lot of times we're interested in connecting a, a person who's had a short-term experience with a long-term commitment either to mentoring or to being involved in our mission program in our local church. question was, do we have any follow-up with local churches? In-country, some... Back here in the U.S., none, and that's on my list. Now, I do that with great, with great uh, fear and trepidation. Um, there are all kinds of privacy issues, and I don't want people, when they sign up, to have to sign away all rights to us than mucking around in their home church to, to get indicators of whether or not they're being good, good little Christians, as I may develop, as I may uh, measure. <laughs> So you can see there, there are some, there are some challenges in doing that. So, ma'am. I just read a study about the effectiveness of short-term medical missions overseas, and had some conversations with the woman in the study. And one of the weaknesses that they mentioned was the fact that um, education of nationals. And I didn't see you mention too much. Of that. That's been my heart. I've worked in Sudan for the past four years, where a very None of this would apply. <laughs> it was in the bush. But um, so one of the things I always had my teams that came in do was make sure that they had education for mm -hmm. our community health workers. Mm -hmm. And I feel that <clears throat> working with the churches was really important. We focus on that too. But I feel capacity building of the locals was far more important than what <coughs> our teams could come in and do medically. I felt education was the best thing that they could leave behind. And I guess I was a little bit sorry to see you didn't mention that in your study, and that was the biggest weakness that this woman found on doing a, uh, quite a big analysis of, of short-term teams. And so um, I was wondering if that is what you are going to be focusing on or do focus on and just didn't mention, but that truly is my heart. I am a trainer, a medical trainer overseas, and mm -hmm. I see a lot of teams coming in and want to play doctor and not want to educate and leave behind themselves 
and multiple forms of the people they're working with. Guilty as charged. We do not do enough training, and my uh, I, my feeling is that everything we do, we take back out with us. But by training, by partnering, by mentoring, we're raising the capacity. We're building capacity in that particular healthcare delivery system. My my number one target when I was working in Ethiopia was the fifth-year Ethiopian medical student who is my interpreter. He is very good. He is better now at differential diagnosis, at, at uh, management and treatment. He's much more bold in show, show, uh, sharing his faith also. So I think that aspect of training is absolutely yeah, crucial. CMEs, just for nationals, I think would be a good right. part of the short-term team outreach. Right. And we started doing that. We've been a little bit uh, stovepiped within Christian Medical and Dental Association. By the way, they're not stovepipes; they're cylinders of excellence now. Uh, but we'd have we'd have one group one group that would do training, and another group that would do clinical care. Well, we're going to start doing more of them together. One of our last trips to uh, another country, which you'll go and mentioned, the last day of the two-week trip was was a full day of doing lectures in the local hospital which was just phenomenal when you look at what people, the, the, uh, the local folks said, what they learned. Absolutely. So, no, I agree. I agree completely. We're going to do that more. Sir? But even that is complex. Yes. Yada, yada, yada in English, um, is it, is it uh, a self-aid learning? It's not easy, especially when we are working with people who do not learn the same way we learn. We just had a, uh, a pastor training conference that Dr. Phil Thornton and his uh, partners in crime taught at, uh, in Bristol a month ago on work, or a few weeks ago on training oral learners, people who are illiterate and semi-literate in the way they learn. They learn a lot better in stories and poems than as you all are, or maybe not, learning from me standing up and lecturing in front of you. So, no, you're, you're exactly right. Um, training didactically like this, I feel, is, is uh, um, probably least effective. Training and mentoring working alongside in a clinical setting is more effective. That's how we learn. That's how I learned medicine. I mean, I suffered through the first two years of medical school in order to get to the clinical years, and that's where I really, that's where I really learned medicine. Sir? Sure. We'd be glad to talk to you offline about, about what we do. And by the way, as you're leaving, I've got brochures on the, on the tables on your way out. Take an inch, share them with all your friends. Um, I'd be glad to talk to you afterward. Other questions? Okay, thanks for your attention.